and welcome. Thank you all for tuning into this conversation, Satya Samvad. But let me clarify uh, that this is uh, not the Samvad of me, as I'm your host, Satya Chakrapani. But this is Samvad. This is a conversation about truth, truth that uh, sets us free. Here we will converse on the issues related to life, ex- life experiences of individuals who have been journeying with this, the quest to know the truth and that truth exhibit uh, in, through their life and through their journey. The Samvad is not about recalling or, or, or remembering rituals to determine uh, the relationship with the truth. How about this is the opportunity to see how the truth has led these individuals in their own journey. The truth that they encounter will set them free from certain uh, 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 narrowness of their own life and own imaginations. And that truth led them thus far. Looking at my own experience, which I encountered 30 years probably ago with the truth. And that truth, which set me free from my narrowness, my narrow imaginations, my narrow way of looking life. This is completely logical and reasonable to question if the truth has a particular language. The Sat is a series beginning today and we'll try to address some of these aspects. In today's Sambad, we will explore the same from real life stories. Let us welcome our guest today, Sri Raju Bhagavadji. He is the one who's leading us today along with other panelists. Throjian, seeing strife and conflicts and restlessness around, he's married to Srimati Stella, his equal half, and they are parents of three wonderful daughters. Of course, now they are grandparents too. Thank you very much, Satya. Joining Sri Bhagavadji, let, let us welcome Srimati Chitra Ramaswamy, a Malayali Tamil, always confused about this, this identity. However, she is an adorable mother to two lovely sons. An egalitarian wife ready to pick fights takes panga on issues related to women, equality, and justice. A passionate bhakta of Muktinath, the Eshwa. We welcome Chitraji to our conversation today. And our third guest is joining us from the India's capital city, which is not humid and hot because of the weather alone, but always because of political temperature. See, Simon G comes from God's own country and has enough experience currently serving in the, with the Tracy as a director of operations and engaged in researching the truth and communicating the same with sensitivity. He's a loving father of Stuti and Dia and has left most of the number crunching to his equal half to meet his wife. Thank you, Satya. Babuji, would you like to tell what are you doing and how did you land up in what you are doing today? Okay. One uh, is the personal violence that I struggled with. Uh, physical violence to start with. Uh, then I moved to systemic violence, which involved uh, forming a union of pastors and going on a hunger fast against a bishop. I uh, then moved more towards the, uh, the verbal violence part. And in my own struggle, dealing with my own violence in different ways, uh, I found that uh, helping people to understand these areas of violence 
uh, in their own lives is probably the best way for me and my own personal growth uh, into non-violence, if you want to put it. I also want to clarify one very clear thing here. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament, uh, the only word you have for uh, injustice is actually the word violence in Hebrew. And he, the Hebrew word for violence is often translated as violence. Okay? So when I'm violent, even verbally, I'm an unjust person. The word for justice is very often the word sedeka, which is just righteousness. So biblically, you've got only two concepts. God looks at us either as righteous people or, or as violence people, as violent people. And my move is towards nonviolence because that is righteousness in God's eyes. I work in violent context, basically. Yeah. Let me reach to Chitra. Chitra, you, you, by constant, you, you pretty get worried and disturbed by seeing the violence and injustice. So, by the way, you are wearing nice bindi and you look so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I would like to also understand a little bit of that because uh, that itself is many, many, many times I have seen that being objected and that we, that has been subjected to the some amount of verbal violence or systematic violence on that. Uh, you are free to even comment on that. But when you, you see this justice and violence as the Bhagavad is mentioned, how do you, how do you see this and how do you, you relate yourself with what Mr. Bhagavad has said and what you try to attempt in your own life? Uh, thank you, Satya. Uh, it's uh, beautiful what you spoke about the Old Testament. I didn't know that. And that's really uh, wonderful to hear that the word uh, violence and justice is so similar. And, uh, you know, uh, we live in a culture of violence, uh, you know, uh, and I am part of it. Uh, when my son hits my other son, I hit him and tell him, why did you hit him? Have I not told you not to hit him? Or he shouts at his brother and I shout back at him and say, how many times have I told you not to shout at your brother? So I almost perpetuate the same. I tell my son not to shout by shouting at him and I tell my son not to hit by hitting him. No? So we live in this culture of violence where winning, using power and authority, when I have it over my son, when somebody else has it over me, they use it over me. And... Uh, you know, injustice has become the way of life. So we children teach our children, you have to come first, you have to win uh, everything from birth. You know, uh, whether you've got a boy child, uh, which is more marks than a girl child, to death is, is you know, is a way of violence. And I believe that uh, Muktinath, you know, Christ is bringing us a way of shalom or a culture of peace where he is challenging us to look at life itself from a different paradigm, no, from a different paradigm, from I am, uh, I have the light, you have the darkness, I will reach you, you know, I will give you the truth. From that to a paradigm of learning, of being together, of being equal, you know, coming, uh, Satya, so that's a little bit about culture of violence and culture of peace. And I strive, I desire uh, to have the culture of peace. But as you said, I take a lot of panga and often, uh, may not be physical violence, but uh, through words and other things, constantly, you know, we are habituated to respond, not with a culture of peace that, or Jesus' third way, as we call it, 
as Walter Wink uh, brought out. Uh, but going back to the Bindi question, Satya, do you want me to answer that now? Shine will be heard because that's, yeah. Please, please. Yeah, sure. Okay, I will take it on from here, you know. Uh, uh, you know, we all have symbols. You know, the reason I wear it is because I feel I like the way my face looks with it. But there's also another aspect to it. Uh, you know, we every every community, every family, every uh, every group has its own symbols. You know, and each group has their own meaning for those symbols. And uh, you know, uh, in my family, the bindi is something that we wear. When we are blessed, when things are going well, like my father once said to me, uh, you know, I won't say it in my Tamil because not everybody may understand. He said, you know, am I dead that you're not wearing a bindi? Because when somebody dies or we go in mourning, we don't wear a bindi. When your husband's dead, you don't wear a bindi. But when you are blessed, you are doing well, it's a sign of your, you know, blessedness that you wear a bindi. But interestingly, Christians have a different understanding and interpretation of the same symbol. Uh, you know, some of you, maybe you can just write it in the chat, what, what a bindi means to you, what it communicates to you. I've heard people tell me uh, it's evil, it's the third eye of Shiva, and uh, if you know the Shaivite tradition, the men would be wearing it, not the women, if it's the third eye of Shiva. You know, women are not given such privileges. Uh, but, you know, these symbols have different meanings, and we often judge other symbols by the meaning that we have for it. So for someone wearing it like me, it has got nothing to do with, uh, you know, uh, evil or good. It is something that honors my family that I like wearing and I, I, I feel good when I wear it. It's like somebody gets up, combs their hair, they may wear a lipstick. I get up, have a bath, comb my hair and put on a bindi. That's part of who I am. So symbols have many meanings and I just want to touch on this that it's not like Christians don't have symbols. You know, we have our weird symbols too, which others from outside look and wonder why you put a plastic tree in the middle of your house and put full lights around it during Christmas, how it has any connection to the birth of Christ. You know, we, somebody asked me, uh, why do you wear a tali? You know, uh, isn't it evil? But is a wedding band in any way more biblical? So these are questions I would put back to, you know, the others in the group. Thank you, Chitra. I think, I think you, have, you have touched many issues and I think... And I think we'll come back uh, to some of these. But let me let me bring uh, 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 Sri Sadi Simonte here, who has been uh, uh, working with his students, and he has met students from across uh, uh, the cultures. Primary for the last two, two decades, as he has been in north and coming from uh, down south. Uh, what was his experience, and how he? And I'm sure this. When you interacted with students and their various other people, you would have come across many symbols. And how did you deal with this? Uh, how? Uh, what was your initial reaction, and what do you think today? And uh, yeah, over to you, sir. Yeah, uh, today I would look at uh, bindi for that matter as uh, as something very beautiful. Uh, see, one thing that happens in our whole conversation of culture and religion, and at least uh, Christianity here is we go into the extremes of it and try to look at what is evil in it. But there's so much of peace, there's so much of beauty in both of these, you know, which we miss out because we try to bring out the extremes of it. And that's why I think if we start to see the beauty of a culture, the beauty of the religion, I think there's a lot of things that we start to appreciate. Now, uh, for what uh, uh, Chitra was speaking on the Bindi, 
I remember my wife, even before marriage, uh, right through her uh, upbringing, she loved bindi. She used to wear bindi, even though she came from a very sort of a Syrian uh, Christian background. And somehow when she became a Christian, you know, it was all the spiritual struggle to take it out and throw it out, you know, because you are identified as a Christian uh, sounds all these symbols. And that's the pity of it because you have sort of tried to bring a lot of evil into or negative uh, signs into these symbols. When we left Kerala and we landed up in Haryana, you know, I was invited uh, to a home where their child, because we were good friends, their uh, two-year-old girl uh, was starting to... Uh, 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 she, they were, had this culture of uh, Vidyaram, right? That's the, how you see that, Vidyaram. And they asked me, since you are teaching from the scripture, would you come and help our child? And uh, this family had also sort of accepted the Lord by then. But uh, they would have, they loved to have that culture around them. And that was a big honor for me to sit with this family, help this child to write uh, help through this process of Vidyaram. But let me see, say there are a lot of misgivings in my life as well, where I have tried to see the culture through a different perspective, through a different lens. But the more I mingled with the students in Haryana, you know, uh, I think then we started to appreciate a lot of things that were very much part of their culture. And therefore, uh, speaking into their culture and through their culture is something that helped us gain trust with them. So definitely, yes, uh, it has helped us a lot. But very sadly, at least down south from where I come in, uh, these are matters of violence or uh, these are matters of uh, uh, where we look at all these issues and might fight the whole day over an, an idea rather than looking at it at very, very beautifully. Chitra brought the issue which uh, uh, about issues that uh, we have a certain symbols which are part of our, our beauty, part of our celebrations, part of our day-to-day -day affairs. Mm -hmm. We have a certain symbols to celebrate, certain symbols to express the particular kind of notion and events in the country. Babaji, you have uh, worked in across the Asia from India to other, other places. How do you deal with this? some of these uh, uh, issues that uh, what uh, Chitraji have raised and Simonji have also involved in raised uh, bringing. Like I have something more to offer to others. And when we go with this kind of notion, how does it, uh, how do you encounter with this? And how do you deal with this, this certain level of up and down kind of position? Okay. Let me start by saying that I work in a context where nobody wears a bindi. So Chitra, you'd be happier here. It's like nobody would ask you questions about that. But I mean, I, I'm deliberately saying that just to highlight the fact that it doesn't matter in other countries, in other cultures. A symbol here is not a symbol in another culture. So why are we fighting over some of these uh, symbols, right? But I work in another context where there are other symbols. And uh, it's a very similar struggle to what happens in uh, what happens uh, in India, where the symbols of this culture, the historical symbols uh, from this culture, uh, become something that are completely anathema. They are, re they are rejected by new Christians. Uh, and it's easy to understand why. 
because almost everybody here uh, is a first generation Christian. And it's not, they do not reject these cultures because they've understood the scriptures or they've understood what the Bible teaches. But that is what they've been told by the evangelists and the missionaries who come from other cultures. And uh, very often the values that are attached, therefore, have been imported from a third culture altogether. They are not Indian, they are not local. The values, the interpretations of these cultures came from people who do not understand what these cultures mean, which is what Chitra highlighted. So that is, that is unfortunate because you have this whole, this whole understanding of uh, transfer of knowledge, uh, which is actually powerful. And the knowledge is what gives power and the people who control that knowledge then determine what is a Christian symbol and what is not a Christian symbol. Uh, let me use another word. I don't, uh, uh, let me use what is a biblical symbol and what is not a biblical symbol. So that is one area that, uh, that is real struggle. And this almost everywhere across Asia. Because the interpreters of local symbols, cultural symbols, are not local people. They are expat, expatriate missionaries, usually. Thank yeah. you, sir. You, you read a very pertinent point that the one who controls uh, uh, knowledge, uh, one who has a knowledge controls uh, the interpretation of these uh, symbols. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you, have, you are a theologian. You have studied, uh, you have studied uh, theology systematically for a number of years, and then um, you, you, you have. Uh, when the, this education, uh, theology education is there, when you go and study and spend time, in a sense, they control uh, this knowledge. Because those, those institutions, they control uh, this, this knowledge in which they transfer to whoever goes there. But you came from a, 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 a culture which had, which is rich with a lot of symbols, uh, and symbols for everything. Uh, in uh, every day, morning, uh, you have a different symbol to express. Afternoon, you have different symbols to express. Evening, you have different. Death, you have different. Birth, you have different. And mm-hmm. and break up everything that you have some symbols to express, and that's richness. But when you reach in these uh, uh, knowledge centers. Where you had to build your uh, uh, the journey on, how did you encounter with these symbols and how these traditions and how did you did you reconcile with the tradition that you came from and the traditions you were uh, uh, were given or you were imparted later and how 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 have you overcome with these and how have you reconciled uh, building in, in in terms of your family as well? Hmm, I I was very fortunate. Uh, that my introduction to the Bible, which actually lasted four years of uh, interactive, very hard Bible study, if you want to use that, uh, because it was people from all the seven religions in India trying to study the Bible. And that kind of... uh, it ensured that there was no one uh, person with power 
who interpreted scripture for us. We struggled with it. We fought about it. We argued about it. We discussed it. And uh, four years down the line, I made a very specific decision. Uh, and this decision was based on uh, what I felt the God of the God of the Bible, the, pers the person of Jesus Christ was saying to me. Uh, the decision was very simple. I do not want to be a Christian in terms of changing my religion, but I definitely want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And my family had no problems with that at all. Uh, the other good thing was, uh, because I had studied the Bible for four years, uh, when people told me, when, when regular Christians, uh, people who had been Christian for a long time, uh, maybe born as Christians, when they told me, oh, when you visit your family, you should not eat food offered to idols. Uh, I knew what the Bible said. Paul is very conditional. Only if there is a weaker Christian brother there, then you don't do it. So you don't want to be a stumbling block. So that is what I answered. And the person who asked me the question said, okay, then I will come with you so that you can't eat. So I said, okay, you come be the weaker brother. That's fine with me. <laughs> so he didn't speak to me for three years after that, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. That's, that's a very interesting because I think that's the one uh, uh, issue which always uh, hangs around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I find the same, it's the same issue repeated here in, in, where I'm working now. Okay. Uh, because there are, there are missionaries who come from other cultures who see uh, these objects of worship, which is the word that actually Paul uses when he talks to the people in Athens. He doesn't use the word idols because it's evaluative and negative. He uses the word objects of worship. And because of these objects of worship, Paul sees that the people in Athens are really concerned about spiritual things and are searching and they are so careful that they, they, they will not even miss out on an unknown God. And therefore, they have this extra altar. Now, Paul is appreciative of the spirituality that, that the people of Athens express, even though the idols actually uh, uh, disturb his spirit very, very strongly. That's the word that is used uh, that when, Paul, when Luke describes what Paul feels. But when Paul speaks about it, you don't find it. Paul has studied the culture. Paul reaches out to them, doesn't push the word, Jesus Christ is your savior. You must be born again in that first sermon. He doesn't mention the word, Jesus Christ. And then people follow him and want to continue the conversation. Thank you. Uh, that's, that's a very interesting reference that you bring. Uh, that's one portion he, he uh, uh, Paul being Paul, and he still doesn't refer uh, either Old Testament or uh, the reference of Jesus. That's, that's a very interesting point. But you mentioned a very interesting uh, phrase that he refers the term called object of worship, not the idols and something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm coming to uh, uh, Mr. S uh, 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 Simon G. That's very interesting that you look at this. Uh, we, uh, we struggle on this, I think, uh, what Chitra brought out and what... Uh, your experience and what Sri Bhagavad has said. I think there are uh, issues of uh, object of worship or methods of worship. Yes. 
Uh, now, yeah. when, when you have uh, been uh, uh, helping uh, lots of the students and uh, youngsters who from their formative age, they would decide about their future, their life, uh, various decisions. You help them in bhakti of Muktinath the Yeshua and help them to figure out this difference, object of worship or methods of worship or uh, these have been uh, issued, but still we are struggling. I'll just take the case of one person who uh, came to know the Lord and uh, then he asked me which church I should go to, you know. And that was the time I was really in a dilemma because I was afraid of leading him to any church for that matter because people could see him through a particular lens. And yet I said, you have the freedom, you should go around and see the different forms of worship that are there. And then I thought, come and discuss, but I said, your choice should be fine. Now, when it comes to the object of worship, even for Christianity, the object of worship and the method of worship, the question is, which is absolute? Is the object of worship absolute or the method of worship absolute? And we as Christians have gone into the whole problem of even absolutizing the methods of worship. That is because we feel that a particular culture of worship is more sacrosanct than anything else. And therefore, sadly, in India, you, have, you do not have this diversity through which people could worship God, bringing in their beautiful culture. When I refer to this beautiful culture, let me tell you that uh, culture is part of the creation mandate. And therefore, the environment, uh, the, uh, the culture is that environment that we have created based on the mandate given uh, for the explore creation and culture is one of those beautiful explorations that have come in with its language and habits and values and so on. Now, therefore, you have you need to accept that there's a diversity of culture which is good in God's eyes. And the moment we have uh, started to see not to see that, then the the whole problem is that this culture against the other we start to understand which is a better culture. For me, every culture, I think uh, most of us would read uh, uh, Richard Neighbors, The Four Cultures, you know. But for me, the whole question is, if the culture has been redeemed, and when Revelation talks about the cultures being brought in as glory for the king, we need to understand what is going to enter into the final, uh, when we are bringing in these cultures before the king, we would be surprised that there are a lot of cultures we thought are not good are actually going to be presented as glory to the king. And that will be acceptable to the king. Only thing is we have only uh, sort of uh, come into the core of saying only the soul has to be saved. The entire culture is redeemed. And therefore, it is in this culture that we need to actually worship. And therefore, for my friend who came to know, uh, asked me this question, I said... Uh, you create culture worship, you know, because you come from a particular culture. I wish you wouldn't be exposed to the entire cultures that are around in the different churches, but that method that you use should come in from your own culture. But it didn't happen. But that's my my whole strong uh, uh, thesis that left to a person to choose. I think he should use his culture, which would actually bring glory to God. And there are a lot of students who have actually gone ahead and used their culture, 
but definitely there are questions that have been raised by other people and therefore they have all, all, always been intimidated. Uh, uh, before I go to Chitraji, I will, I will ask another uh, uh, question on this. I mean, not question, rather more uh, your thoughts and also from uh, Bhagavadji. You mentioned that's very interesting point that the object of worship is absolute. Yes. So we have folk, uh, we have moved from there and we have started focusing, creating absoluteness of methods of worship. Exactly. Now, when we come there, uh, so uh, this brings to me another point which, which we need reflection from you uh, both and three of uh, you. When we go and we say we must be part of some kind of institutional worship group, there could be any name of that. Mm. There could be a people who may not be part of or may not find comfortable there. How do you deal with this? Uh, and what, 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 I know there is no easy answers, but what's your thoughts on this? Hey, I am learning. That's why methods I are not. Yeah. Just a, because he said methods are not absolute. Exactly. There's a there are there is every day new new methods because if we are six billion people, probably there could be six billion methods of worshiping because God has created everyone as unique, which we believe. Sorry. Your thoughts, Simon Savan, then uh, uh, we'll go to Bhagavad Savan, then I'll come to Chitra for some more uh, uh, reaction from her. Yeah. See, a culture of worship should be one that invites even uh, if I am coming from a Hindu background, it's that culture of worship that I adopt uh, should be something that is so acceptable even for my family to come and be part of. The moment it creates a barrier and says this is quite alien from us, the, the culture or the, or the method of worship that you have employed is rather alien and it cuts off my family, my gotra, the entire section of people who would never see the light of what I've seen, I should, I should repent of the, the method of worship that I've sort of absolutized. And uh, I feel that we should be open enough to uh, see that this person should think through his own family, his own gotras, his own friends who could uh, come into that worship and say, this looks very, I mean, they, they don't feel alien into it. And yet they are able to see the God whom, who's worshipped there as the the Lord of all. And that is where I think even Chitra, when she mentioned the violence that comes in because we are trying to get into another sort of culture and that has broken families apart. Let me bring you this whole example of when we got all, I worked with UESI for long years. Uh, I got all the staff workers of UESI who came from non-Christian backgrounds. Satya was there. We had an open sharing with them. And that was the time when they really went out and said how they're coming to know the Lord has cut them off from many of their closest connections of life. And uh, it pained, pained me a lot. And I asked myself, why did I never ask this story? Why did I never hear their story? And that made me realize how, as a Christian, I can come in, in, the, in the garment of servanthood, but in the disguise, that would be a disguise of power. Because I try to bring my own ways into them. Had I listened to them, had I listened to their worries, many of those staff who shared that day are cut off from their families for at least a decade. Why did that happen for us? And that is where I feel uh, sometimes 
or many times we as Christians have failed to even sit and hear what our brothers from Hindu background or other backgrounds have to say and then recreate or we, we create an environment that would actually uh, bring in joy to them and to their families. So, so those impediments should be taken out. I, I, I don't know whether I answered it fully, but... No, you, you have fairly brought uh, quite uh, uh, interesting uh, elements in this. Uh, uh, Ranwasa, uh, what how would you react to this absolutization of the methods of worship versus... Yeah, let me, let me address that because that is the root. See, how we react to culture is only a result of formation. And I want to go back to your question on theology. Theology comes as a package deal uh, from an outsider. Uh, all that we end up with is higher theological walls. Or it comes in a package of your denominational, then it becomes deeper denominational ditches that we built for ourselves. Okay? Theology is not packaged. And there's a very simple reason for that. Theology is not absolute. Theology is not something that is a complete package. We are doing theology constantly. Theology is dynamic. It's not a static, completed body of knowledge. Uh, the simple reason being because God is infinite and my finite little brain is never going to be able to comprehend God. It's as simple as that. All theologians have finite, limited brains, which are further limited by their own cultures and their denominations and their own personal experience of hurt or whatever in the background. How can we prescribe theology for other people? So that is, that is where I want to. That is one thing we do not do. When that is done, you will find denominations, you will find uh, divisions, you will find trenches, you will find the ditches. All of these. God is infinite and no theologian or group of theologians or denomination can comprehend him in all his fullness. Therefore, we cannot prescribe a theology as a finished product. Second, idol worship, etc., whatever you want to bring in, the cultural aspects that I express in that, is something that is addressed only within the context. When God condemns anything, when scriptures condemn something, it is only the people of the book. Uh, there is also this whole understanding of uh, what we would call, what Chitra, Chitra used that word, the whole power dynamics. Okay? And this is best, uh, like people who package have the power. You, you prescribe because you have a package that you've come prepared with and you prescribe it to others. But you go back to the whole understanding of development and way back in 1970, 71, there was someone called Paulo Freire, actually. He wrote a book called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And he has a very simple premise in that whole book. The thesis is very simple. If the oppressors prescribe the curriculum, the oppressed will always stay oppressed. Okay? Repeat this again, sir. I think they're very interesting. Statement. Can you repeat this statement again? If... If the oppressor designs a curriculum and a package for the other people to learn, those other people who are subjugated to the people who have designed that curriculum. And the only way to, to be free is when the learners become 
the ones who decide what they want to learn you have you have brought a three uh, key points the one you say that theology is not static mm-hmm. you have you have uh, let me make a provocative statement it looks like that you are trying to demolish the whole denomination politics and uh, i don't know uh, no i'm not person goes in the public Okay. Uh, how 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 will you face the public wrath? But then you have made a very interesting point that the God is is so infinite, and how on earth we can say that we have understood Him? So it is every day as a new experience as He reveals to us. You said very interesting that you brought up Paul of Rye in this, and in the church context, if you use Paul of Rye, you will be considered as a liberal theologian, which you are not because you have you have uh, your which you are not i know and uh, because this book always refers to uh, 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 their religions but this is very interesting that he said if the learners are not allowed to decide they will always be as subjected or uh, uh, to the power of the one who creates learning methods i think these are very very powerful and profound uh, 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 points that you have said let me uh, i'll come back to you bhagwati uh, for some more interesting point but let me go to chitra chitra is uh, you are uh, uh, very very i mean a close quarter i have observed your bhakti to muktinath your uh, allegiance and your commitment to uh, what he called uh, for but you also uh, uh, are dealing with uh, uh, reconciling reconciling with your uh, some of the lost uh, lostness that you experience initially and you were trying to uh, work on that what uh, simon sahab and bhagwan sahab has said how what is your response to these because some, i think some of these statements i wish if you, you had heard or i had heard in our the very first uh, a few weeks of knowing this to mukira chitra yeah uh, let me say thank you so much bhagwat ji and simon ji dil bara aaya uh, i don't know whether pair padu ya gale lago you know it's so so uh, refreshing to hear something like this from people like you uh, you know the the whole idea of this method of worshiping becoming so absolute you know what how how you worship where you worship you know how you look when you worship what festivals you celebrate freeing us from that that bondage i think is such a such an amazing uh, gift uh, and it's really truth that sets us free uh, so i just want to you know just just uh, highlight some of our struggles as we journey with you know the the whom we worship the lord of this world jagannath jag you know paramatma the lord of this universe we are worshiping him we are worshiping muktinath his son and yet that doesn't seem to be sufficient you know uh, our spirituality our faith our commitment uh, is repeatedly questioned because i wear a bindi or because i celebrate onam or because i did funeral rites for my father you know it's it's kind of uh, you either do it my way or you don't do it at all and uh, i just wanted to say that you know uh, for me it firstly feels like what paul won for us in acts 
uh, uh, he he fought a battle for on our behalf in Acts 15. You know, he said he will not make Jesus a Jewish god. He will not make Jesus worshipped in a Jewish way. You know, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to celebrate their special seasons and festivals. You can worship Christ in your own culture, in your own way. That has somewhere been lost with Western Christianity. You know, we have gone back and for what Paul fought for, we have almost lost it. Because today we are told, if you have to worship Christ, if you have to worship Muktinath, you have to come into the Christian box and worship in this way. Otherwise, you're not a true believer, true follower of Christ. And that's heartbreaking because when, as, when we meet the Lord of this universe, you know, we want to so much please him. We want to, it's like first love, you know, it's like first rain. You are, you are longing to do his heart's desire. And then you are told his heart's desire is that you reject everything that you have been part of. His heart's desire that you should, you know, uh, change your name. You should change your festivals. You should change your appearance. You should change your food habits. And you know, it's heartbreaking. There are times in my life I've thought, lying in my home, Lord, I'd rather die than put my family through this. You know, it would be easier. And for what? You know, having matured in Christ, I realized that was not at all God's heart. That was the way I was discipled. And instead of building bridges for, the, for people to experience the shanti and the mukti that comes from him, I made him a villain wherever I went in my family because of the way I thought he, the box in which I put him, I said, no, this is his box. I, I, I think we sometimes forget and I have been guilty of it, you know, and we sometimes forget that he is not the Lord of us Christians, westernized Christians. He's the Lord of the universe. And the Lord of the universe will be worshipped in all the ways that there is in this world. And, and that's exactly what Paul, what Paul didn't want that the Bible, the whole of the Acts 15 said, you don't have to put a yoke on them that you yourself could not follow. And I just want to end with this, Satya, that it, it really hurts my heart because many of my friends have had to go away because of the yoke that was put on them and they couldn't bear it. You know, many times the persecutions are not because of whom we worship, but how we are told to worship and we feel glorified because we are, you know, I just will leave with this verse. Uh, you know, uh, Galatians is a beautiful book. It, Paul addresses this very issue. And he says that, you know, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And he also says that, I, you know, if, Christ, if righteousness could be gained by the law, Christ died for nothing. And yet, we who come from, you know, come to know God are told you have to follow these laws or you are syncretistic, you are backslidden. You are liberal. Uh, you know, so it, it is a something that that I think people don't understand the hurt and the the separation that that not only happens between the person and the family, but that happens between the Almighty God and these people because the community is lost forever because you have made this Lord of the Universe the villain in that piece. You have you have mentioned actually you, you have brought uh, lots of things and I think it's conversation as we are getting into it looks like that we have we can have it till next morning and we still will uh, we will love to listen with the same passion. I think you made a very interesting point in your conversation that's 
which often a, a person who comes uh, to know and who we feel as a as a trophy is considered who is who is suffering. But when you are talking about it, actually you are mentioning when you recall your experience with your family of putting into kind of situation, is it the family who suffers more than the individual we, we consider a trophy who suffered? Yes, absolutely. I think I, I often, I, I, uh, I have amazing family. They have, uh, uh, you know, they have loved me. They have unconditionally, I think I first saw the unconditional love of God through my ma- mother. And I, it was much more easier for me to accept the unconditional love of God because I experienced it in my family, in my home. So, Chitra, you, you, you are actually, uh, your conversation, I wish uh, some of these uh, become part of regular uh, discourse and conversation with uh, groups that they meet and uh, discuss. But I think uh, Bhagavad has some interesting, uh, his own experience. Because he's, his grandfather was a priest. So, Bhagavad would you like to recall quickly uh, that piece? Because that's, I think, relation, relational aspect. I was the eldest son of the eldest son and the next in line to be, uh, to be a priest, to continue the family tradition. So my, uh, after my thread ceremony, my grandfather started uh, teaching me, training me with the rituals, uh, all of those. Yeah. He was the one who did not have a package of theology that he prescribed to me. In my innocence of 12 years to 14 years, he allowed me to ask questions and he gave me the freedom not to practice what he was teaching me in terms of the rituals and the pujas because it did not, I could not get it. I could not comprehend the theology that he was trying to teach me. So he very graciously did not use his power and let me free to decide for myself. This is the opposite of what I find happening in the church. People use power because we've studied theology or we have this, we are the, we have this position as priest or missionary or whatever, the the leadership positions, the designations that we have. And then we use those to prescribe the actions and the beliefs of others. And in contrast, I have a grandfather who was a priest who could have done it and who said, I let go my power because I care for you more. A Hindu priest did that for me. So I rolled down another six years after that. I find some answers and I go back and I tell my grandfather, this is what I've decided. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I, but I'm not going to become a Christian. I'm not going to get baptized. Uh, Apologies to all the Baptists who are listening. So for the next five years, I, I stayed an unbaptized disciple of Jesus Christ. My grandfather's words to me were, you are, your, your brother has Satya Sai Baba as his guru. Your uncle has Meher Baba in Ahmednagar as his guru. Uh, there's another cousin who has uh, Shiridika Sai Baba as his guru. So your guru is Jesus Christ. That's fine with me. At least you believe in something now. That was his. Yeah. Uh, roll down another five years. By then, my guru, Jesus Christ, is now as I study scripture and I read the Bible systematically, my guru is now saying he wants me to teach scriptures in the Christian church. And that's when I discovered how that happens. First, you have to be baptized. Then you have to be sponsored. And then you have to go to seminary. Then you come back and be ordained and all that, which means I have to become a Christian. 
again, my grandfather advised me, please make sure people understand that your Atma Parivartan was when you were 20 years old and your Dharma Parivartan was when you were 25 years. Uh, here's a grandfather who again gave me the choice, did not force me to stop going. He said, you decide. Here's another, here's a grandfather who's a priest who has the authority over the family, but gives me the spiritual liberty to make my own decision because he does not package his theology. I think your personal experience that you brought out, it's, it makes a lot of difference because it's to help other people to understand. Going back to Simon G, what does Bible suggests to fit in some kind of modes which are uh, uh, prescribed by some of the institutions or denominations or kind of group of churches. So, because each one has its own mold and how far you can... Uh, I mean, if at all, it, it recommends how far you can get into those molds. Um, thank you, Satya. Uh, see, I was just thinking of one incident that I need to share here. Uh, while in Haryana, I saw my neighbor, this lady losing her husband. And that's when I went to their house. And there was an event that was happening where uh, the neighbors, their family came in to break her bangles and then to rub out her sindoor and other things. And this lady was crying so much. And that is the first time I realized how much these symbols of, uh, uh, of bangles, the red bangles and the Sintu meant to her, you know. And these are things that we easily ask people to remove, you know. And I, I was saying that these are symbols that we need to bring in. Now, let me also go into uh, the church, the scripture. There are a lot of symbols that have been adopted from other cultures. For example, baptism or for that matter, uh, the Lord's bread, the breaking of the, the Lord's bread. And there are a lot of other symbols that have been taken from other cultures because they had, they brought, they beautifully brought out the meaning out of it. You know, so baptism is never something that was originated from the Christian faith. It came from another faith. So my whole idea is that if Lord's Supper, baptism, and even use of language in the scripture came from other faiths and traditions that were beautifully brought into the reason why they were brought in is because they brought a lot of meaning into the whole thing. And therefore, for me, your question is, uh, what is it that we should adopt or what is it that we shouldn't adopt? I believe anything that beautifully brings out the meaning out, the truth out, you know, uh, those are things that we should be, uh, I mean, readily adapt or uh, in, into our faith. And these are things that cannot be kept at void saying that these are unchristian because uh, they sometimes bring the beauty of a truth far easily into our culture, into our uh, families, into our religions than the culture that has come from the West to uh, share a particular truth. So is there a particular mold? I don't think we can draw a mold for people. That would be the, the, the worst thing that I can do. You know, As long as the object of worship is absolute, the method of worship, the mold, I think, should be in such a way that there is no demonic, demonized aspects that are brought into from a particular culture. Now, these are things that we shouldn't go in, in depth, but still I would say there are certain cultures that have been demonized, which has to be redeemed. And then that is a subject that probably will take up later. But we need to know that the mold that we are trying to create for people will never bring the truth out. I think Chitra has something to share. Yeah. 